I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 29. And we are fine. We are almost 30, and then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> Just ask my joints. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> what Do you, do you take that ginkgo myloba or okay, whatever? Okay, well, I think that's from memory. Oh. Ginkgo biloba? Something. I never can say it right. Obviously, I can't either. But it's for memory. Oh. Chondroitin, I think, is what you take for your joints. Yes, that's it. And glucosamine. I know conjoint, whatever. (laughs) Don't take a joint. (laughs) I mean, unless you're into it. You do what you want to do. Oh, gosh. Only if you're in the uh, states that it's legally (laughs) passed for medical purposes, which your joints, you need a joint for your joints. (laughs) And then even then, who are we to judge? Not me. I mean. I am just a rule follower. (laughs) (laughs) And so it gives me anxiety. Oh my Which God. is why I need a joint. <laughs> <laughs> Take that Zoloft. I'll just smoke pot. <laughs> no, no, no. I need my Zoloft. Oh, my gosh. I've never done it, so I don't know. Zoloft or pot? <laughs> oh, yeah, either. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Wellbutrin <laughs> and Lexapro. <laughs> just putting that out there. Double whammy. <laughs> She's bringing out the big guns. Pew, pew. <laughs> I take those so I don't bring out the big guns. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, in that episode of TMI, (laughs) (laughs) we had dessert tonight. (laughs) Why do we always fucking eat? (laughs) And why do we always eat in a way that gets us crunk? I don't know. Who says crunk? Food makes us happy. Food is our friend. Yes. And we have some new Patreoners. Yes. Welcome to the Creepinati. We've been waiting. I like that. Thanks. You're freaky deaky. <laughs> Don't tell my secrets. <laughs> That's um, what this podcast is about. True. I mean, hello. Did you just hear our spiel about uh, mm-hmm. SSRIs? Okay. I don't know if they're all SSRIs. I was about to say, don't use your medical jargon on me. SSRIs? That's like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. I couldn't say that ten times faster. <laughs> you could. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I couldn't say it one time slow. <laughs> That's why you just say yes. Anyway, so shout out to my amazing sister, yes, KCM. Hello, fellow podcaster Amy D and Kayla K. Yes, thank you for being part of the Creepster fan. We're so excited to have you, and you're going to get sick of us in a good way. And also, thank you all who have been tagging us in other groups or when they have people who are asking for podcast recommendations. We see you. We, we, I don't even know. <laughs> I was going to say we hear you, but that's not a thing for that. But anyway, we're super excited that y'all are spreading the word and that you love the podcast because we are having so freaking much fun. Yes, I agree with all of that. But again, you said you all. What have you been listening to? Because you're losing your southernness. Ghosts in the Burbs. Oh, damn, Liz. (laughs) Don't haunt me. (laughs) I'm almost caught up and I'm like, I can't wait to read her book. I know. Oh, and her audiobook drops the 7th. I got to get it too because, I mean, I'm going to read the book, but. But if she's reading it, you got to. You got to. Yeah. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely check her out. Okay. What were you going to say though? Oh, yeah. So I want to thank y'all. Because I'm correct. But we have seen y'all on Instagram, 
on your stories, shouting us out, telling everyone that you enjoy listening to us. Thank you so much. We love when you tag us. We love to connect with you. Debbie, I'm looking at you because you do awesome stories and you always tag us. Oh my God, that story today. Yes. So great. Also, if you saw our unboxing video on our Facebook group, we had some cards that we got from Debbie Draws Funny on Instagram. Check her out. And so she draws all the cards. And one of the cards was a happy birthday card with Angela Lansbury, a.k.a. Jessica Fletcher from (laughs) Murder, She Wrote. And it said, like, basically, happy birthday. You didn't get murdered. You made it another year kind of thing. Well, if you remember from previous episodes, my mom's a huge Murder, She Wrote fan. And so when we got those cards, like even in the unboxing video, I was like, can I have this for my mom's birthday? Because her birthday was on the 29th. And she was like, oh, my God, the card. Like she loved it. I think that that was the best part of her whole presence was that card. Yeah, because... Debbie totally slipped in a few extra cards because Donna had ordered some from her. <laughs> and then she totally slipped us some extras. Yes. Which was amazing. So check her out. And thank you again for tagging us in groups and stories and social media stuff. Yep. All right. You go first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. A sidebar. Donna went ham on spooky town shit <laughs> from... Michaels. From Michaels, yeah, is that like those little like you make a town out of spooky shit, and hence the name. But she has spent, I swear to God, like eight million dollars on this, and there's spooky town shit everywhere. Like I was about <laughs> to put my hand in, and I almost smacked a crazy tree. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm the mayor of fucking spooky town. Mm-hmm. Okay, picture it. You're on vacay. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. You check into this historic hotel. Wouldn't do it. (laughs) Give me luxury. Everything is going good. And then suddenly you start to experience some low water pressure. Mm Mm-mm. Worst ever. Mm Mm-mm. Like, mm mm-mm. Does nothing to my hair. Makes my hair oily Mm -hmm. when I wash it, which is not very often. (laughs) Yeah, dry shampoo is, like, her best friend. Mm -hmm. I spend money on Spooky Town. She spends money on dry shampoo. Look, I should have stock in Batiste. (laughs) Okay, so your hair's not doing good. Mm -mm. The shower is just not amazing. Okay. Then you realize that the water kind of has a strange taste to it. (gasps) Why are you tasting your shower water? Well, it's It's water. It's a joke. A bad one. Um... (laughs) And then sometimes when you're in the shower, it comes out a little blackish. Black? Yeah. So you complain to the front desk, and you also need extra towels. Oh, you always need extra towels. Yes. Then, a little while later, you found out they had so many complaints that they actually checked it out. Turns out... There's a body! There is a dead body in the water tank. Ooh, wait. Somebody has poisoned the water hole. <laughs> <laughs> There's a snake in my boot. Are you doing? I am. I'm talking about Elisa Lamb and the Cecil Hotel. Ooh! Yes. 
Okay, okay, okay. He said, are you doing... How you doing? That's what he... <laughs> Uh, man, I don't watch Wendy Williams anymore. I need to get back into her. She back? Yeah. You mean after that little fainting spell? <laughs> <laughs> that made for the best fucking gifts. Yes. Poor lady. God love her. But that was the <laughs> best. Yes. I mean, if you if you have to pass out on live TV. Do it. Do it. Wendy, Wendy Williams, Williams style. style. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So you're pretty familiar with the story? Mm-hmm. Ish. Ish. I mean, I could always use a refresh. Okay. In 2013, Elisa Lamb, she came from Vancouver to Los Angeles. She's 21 years old. She's traveling alone, which, I mean, live your life, girl. Mm-hmm. So she is not backpacking through... <laughs> California, but... (laughs) Do people do that? But, I mean, she's doing it as cheap as possible. Yeah. And the Cecil Hotel is next to Skid Row, not a great part of town. Yeah. And it kind of had some rooms, all of the rooms were low rates. Mm -hmm. And they do that in turn, like, one, because it's kind of seedy. Two, to maybe allow the people on Skid Row to maybe be able to have a place to sleep. Yeah, and a place to take a shower. Yeah. So she got there, and she was in a hostel room, basically. Mm -hmm. She shared it with a person. But after two days, the roommate called down and was like, look, I got to change rooms because my roommate is fucking weird. She's doing some odd behavior. Like, get her out. So they moved her out, and so Elisa had a room by herself. Which, I mean, sign me up for that. Mm-hmm. Hostel rates, but no hostile neighbors. Right. Or roommate. Yeah. So, there's that. So, her parents alerted Los Angeles police because they didn't receive their daily phone call from her. And they're like, that's not like her. Yeah. She's going to check in. So, they're like, all right, we'll check. We'll check it out. You know? They couldn't search every room because they don't. They didn't have a search warrant, mm-hmm. but they kind of searched what they could, didn't find her. They did talk to a manager of a nearby bookstore. Her name's Katie Orphan, and she was one of the last people to see Elisa alive. She said that she was outgoing, very lively, very friendly, and she was getting some gifts in her store. She said that she was talking about the book she was getting and whether or not that she it was going to be too heavy for her to carry while she's traveling. Mm-hmm. But she wanted to get it to take home to her family. So she seemed happy. You know, the last yeah. interaction, again, seemed perfectly normal. Someone visiting L.A. for the first time. Yeah. You know, being a young 21-year-old, whatever. But that was, like, the only lead they really had yeah that was substantial was this before or after they found her body this is before okay that's what i thought but i couldn't remember yeah so after a week searching leads you know running down every possibility uh they released a video because they're like we need help maybe someone can see her and then they'll recognize her whatever who released it? The police? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Important to know that. Sorry. 
But this is the video that went viral. Have you watched it? Where she's in the hallway of the hotel? Yeah, well, the elevator. Yeah, yes. I've seen it. It's, it's eerie. It's, I don't want to watch it ever again. Right. And it's like, if you just saw it, you'd be like, well, that's really odd. But knowing that's the last time she was ever on camera. Mm-hmm. Makes it so fucking eerie. Yeah. Like, oh. Um, but, okay. So, if you haven't seen the video. So, she goes on to the elevator. And she's in, like, gym shorts. Looks like boy gym shorts almost. A sweatshirt. Just not what she normally wore. Yeah. So, it was just odd there. It's, yeah. But, so she gets on and she presses, like, buttons. Like, a lot of the buttons. And then she just kind of, like, the elevator door doesn't close. And so, then she, like, peers from left to right and then bolts back into the elevator. Then she, like, does a square dance over to the corner. And she's, like, holding her breath. It looks like, you know, like, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. Then she goes back in. I mean, back into the hallway. Then she goes, like, side steps to where you can only see her right arm. Mm -hmm. And she does, like, walk like an Egyptian. (laughs) Like, I'm making fun of it just because it's so eerie to me. It's how you have to deal with it. Yeah. Yes. And so you're like, who is she talking to? Who can you not see off camera? Right. Like, what's going on? And she's not on her phone. Right. Then she, like, gets back in, gets back out. You know, it just goes on. And so that was just fucking weird. Yeah, there there was no rhyme or reason to what she was doing that we could see. Right. And then, so finally she leaves the scene entirely, like, goes down the hallway. We don't see her ever again. Several weeks later, February 19th, a maintenance worker, Santiago Lopez, he was sent to figure out this low water pressure. Mm -hmm. So he discovered that the latch of a water tank, one of, I think it's four on the roof of the Cecil hotel, the latch was open. So he found Elisa's body floating naked face up. Her clothes, watch and room key were in the water beside her. Her cell phone was never found. And this is, gross but have you watched gerald's game on Mm. netflix okay well there's this like famous scene where they like her hand they call it degloving no i know what you're talking about okay well she had been in the water so long that her body was degloving oh my god so that means like her skin was like peeling off. off yeah oh my god so can you imagine no can you imagine Being one of those people in the hotel who said this water tastes funny. Mm -mm. And then you found out that there was a fucking body in there the whole time. Right. I mean, I would never stop throwing up. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Like, oh. Yeah, that's disgusting. Disgusting. So, the coroner listed her death as a drowning. But it's... Oh, my God. I forgot. When you said that. Okay. I wrote this. Can you imagine how the guests would feel if they knew they that a decomposing body was inside the water tank while they brushed their teeth? With her body juice. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. Ew. God dang. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. We got it. I can't. Oh. Yeah. 
So they say the most plausible explanation is that Elisa had bipolar disorder and they say, according to her autopsy, had only taken her prescribed stimulant medications, but not her stabilizers. And so this may have led to a manic episode. And so sometimes they experience hallucinations and Mm -hmm. psychosis. And so they said if she was having a manic episode, it's possible that she thought someone was following her. Mm -hmm. And so she was like playing hide and seek basically with them, thinking they were in the elevator Mm -hmm. outside. And then that she went up and hid in the water tank and couldn't get out. But it's weird that her clothes, like she would get in and take her clothes off and... Well, I thought I had heard in this story before that her clothes were, like, folded up next to the tank. Oh, I don't know. They said it was beside her, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm Like, I'm not for sure about that detail. But, yeah, yeah. it was, like, like, her, like I said, her clothes were, like, folded up next to it. Because I, I thought that one theory was that she, like, went swimming in it and um, dr- like couldn't get back out and drown. Oh, I didn't read that. I mean, it, I may have made all that up. I don't no, know. No, I'm... That's pro- that is, I mean, a thing, you know. I mean, you could say that. I just feel like if you are going to be, let's say that she was in a manic episode where she was hallucinating, I mean, what I just feel like even in that, why would her idea be, let me go hide in this tank? Like, how did she even get up there to begin with? Right, right. So, this theory, people, some people say conspiracy theorists, but I say. People who think outside the box and want to get to the real answers. Okay. They're like, okay, they're not easy to access. No. You know, I mean, they're located on the freaking roof. Anyway, I wouldn't even know that they had them. Mm -mm. I'm like, you got a water tank? You don't just tap into the city's water? Right? Like, yeah, I mean. Is that a thing? (laughs) And they said that only hotel staff had keys to unlock the door to the roof. That's what I was going to say. First of all. If I'm in a hotel, I don't even know where the door is to get to a roof. Right. I don't even know where the fucking ice is. (laughs) You know? I mean... (laughs) Just being honest, I only find it because it's by the... uh, Elevator. No, it's by the snacks. Uh, Which is usually by the elevator. True. And you know I'm not taking the stairs. I was about to say, which is why we don't know where the door is to the... (laughs) roof because we're not taking the stairs but anyway but yeah even if you did find it it's fucking locked yeah so the people don't go out there and jump or go swim in a fucking water tank that we didn't know they had exactly one i did see that they said it was like a security code that you had to push in to Mm -hmm. so i mean there's she would there's no way she would there's no way yeah like it's one thing if okay for some long like, shot that she hooked up with this guy, mm-hmm. stole his key. Swear to God, that's what I was that. thinking. But it's like, what are you going to be like? Okay, before you come, tell me the digits. Yeah. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know? I don't know. Anyway. So, they also say that if she couldn't do that, if she couldn't get through that door, she would have to use the fire escape to get onto the roof. Okay? Apparently... We think that this lady is fucking Spider-Man and can scale walls. Yeah. And and MacGyver and can pick locks. Yeah. And it's like 14 stories. Mm -mm. So, 
and straight up. Yeah. You know, I mean. Oh, because the other buildings are 14 stories, but they go laterally. I and mean, then- the fire escape <laughs> is straight up. Not like. Not like a zigzag like you see in the. Pretty woman. Yeah. Yeah. Not like that. It's the other part of L.A. where they go straight up, not mm-hmm. the zigzag. <laughs> yeah. It's they, that other. They don't uh, bob that, and weave. Look, on this side of Skid Row, where <laughs> she st- where Pretty Woman is, they use the zigzags. <laughs> Over here, they're a little bit fancier, the straight up and down ones. Yep. hmm <laughs> There you go. Geography 101. <laughs> also, they say that the openings to the water tanks, they're 10 feet up. What? Yeah, so they require a ladder to reach. There was no ladder found. Oh, so there's not one, like... Because, see, what I was picturing was... You know how on, a like, a water tower? Mm-hmm. Like, your city water tower? Yeah. They have... Well, they used to have that the ladder would come all the way down. Now they yeah. have it where they t- took the bottom part out, so you have to have a ladder to even get there. But the, yeah. but it has, like, a built-in ladder that goes all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. And so it goes not, straight up. It do, I mean, you know, as one does on a <laughs> water tank. So, yeah. but so you, it didn't have, you had to put a ladder on it. It didn't have one like on it, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And so they said that the lid to the tank was not hinged, and which led some to wonder how the lid was closed if she got in on her own accord because it's heavy as fuck. Yeah. You know? So it's like, it's because it's like a, you know what I'm picturing? Like a trap door? Yeah. Is that, how, like, how it opens? I think it opens, like... Slides like a manhole cover, or is it, like, a lift I up? I like think a, it lifts up. I'm not sure. Well, okay, so, like, it lifts up, and it goes all the way back, so you can get into it. So she's going to pick up that 50-pound door and close it while she's treading water? Right. Absolutely not. Well, and the water's down. It wasn't filled all the way up, either, so it's not like she can just... Like, Gideon, and she's in there. At the top. Yeah. yeah. She's... So, yeah. But then other people say, okay, well, the Cecil Hotel itself, it's got a shady past. And it's it had the notorious Night Walker. I mean, Night Stalker. He also walked at night. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Michael Jackson song. <laughs> so, Richard Ramirez, mm-hmm. which I hope you do soon. I mean, it would be, you know, like um, a five-hour episode. Yeah. But I know that. All the big guns like that, I'm like, this is a second reference to big guns tonight. I know. Yeah, those take for fucking ever. Yes. And we've had some good. But we've had some, like, long episodes lately, so. Hey, Lisa in our Facebook group, she says, bring on the long ones. Right. She's got a long drive, so. Right. We keep her company. So, yeah, Richard Ramirez, he lived there in 1984 while he killed the 13 people. There were also several suicides. They referred to the Cecil as the suicide. Yeah. Because there are so many, including one that the person who committed suicide or died by suicide, they actually fell on top of a pedestrian and killed that pedestrian. Damn. That'd be my fucking luck. Living the life, backpacking through California, and fucking someone follow me, kill me. Someone fell out of the fucking sky. The sky is falling, henny penny. Right. And I'm dead. <laughs> so everyone's like, look, it's this building harnessed some dark energy. Lots of tragedy has been yeah. here. We all know how that plays out usually. Also, then you put that together with that 
haunting fucking video of her in the elevator. Mm -hmm. So it's like something paranormal. Yeah. It's going on here. Yeah, because it's easy to reason away what looks to be like hallucinations for her because of her diagnosis. Right. But who's to say that it was a hallucination? Right. Not us. Mm Mm-mm. And then some people even say that the footage was tampered with and that the timestamp on the bottom skips forward as if a minute of footage was removed. Mm Mm-mm. And they say that it appears that she's speaking to someone, but her mouth is, like, pixelated. So you can't, it obscures her words. So you can't read it. Again, I mean, that's just, like, other people trying to find these theories and, like, everyone wants an answer. Because it's so freaking bizarre. This is what I think happened. Okay. I think that it was a hotel employee. Okay. That maybe they hooked up. Maybe he just, or she, just liked her, and something went south. She's running from them, and she's like, holy fuck, where are they, where are they, where are they? And they kill her and take her up there, because how else would they get her up there? Yeah. Without having the key and the code Mm -hmm. and the muscle. Yeah. That's what I think happened. Well, and it could explain her wardrobe. They might have hooked up, and she put on these clothes. Yeah. Could be. Because, like, it's not that she was wearing, like, oh, she's wearing men's clothes. Like, it's it's not hers. Right. It's, it's, like, she had a Tumblr and, like, a blog and stuff. And so she pinned fashionable stuff and... It just wasn't her typical attire. And, yeah. yeah. And, again, it's late at night, too. I mean, that might be what she slept in. I mean, you never know. I, I sleep in Saints PJ pants and a long sleeve <laughs> shirt and socks. <laughs> oh, my God. Y'all... She just gave you a great, sexy picture <laughs> to think about. And then, when I need to walk and get some water, I put on my Crocs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> I am schmexy. <laughs> Take that, Mama June. <laughs> oh, my God. That is too funny. Okay, so then, here's another little theory. So, or... It's a coincidence, but it leads to a theory. Okay. So it was discovered that a tuberculosis drug was being tested nearby the Cecil Hotel. In 2015? 2013. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the name of the drug was Lam-Elisa. Like, how her name is spelled. What? Mm-hmm. L-A-M-E-L-S. Nope. Mm-mm. E-L-I-S-A. Yeah. So, nothing was found connecting her and her death to the tuberculosis study. It's just, like, one of those strange circumstances. But then you think about, if they're testing a drug, where would they go to get people who need money? Skid Mm -hmm. Row. Yeah. And if she's staying at, like, a hostel, basically, Mm -hmm. she might need money to go do something. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know where that comes in at, but that is just, that's one of those. It's either part of the story Mm -hmm. or it's like a break in the matrix. Right. Yes. One, how do you know that? Somebody put, somebody said it in the Facebook group. Oh, I was, my mind was blown. (laughs) I was like, yeah, wait, what? (laughs) Those words came out of Carrie's mouth. She's a fucking changeling today, y'all. So 
like you've heard this story tons of people on the podcast in the podcast world mm-hmm. they've done it and like it was actually the inspiration behind the American, American Horror, Horror Story. Story. I almost said it because when you were talking about her and just the hotel and stuff, I kept thinking about Sarah Paulson's character mm-hmm. on the hotel. But they had a quasi H.H. H. Holmes character on there, too. So it was like, I guess they combined the the H.H. H. Holmes in Chicago with this one. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, it could be Richard Ramirez, too. No, because it was... I mean, maybe that he did something in there, but I can't remember that. But no. I never watched this one. Oh, no, no, no. This guy that was... um, What's the guy's name that's the main guy that's always on there? Him and Sarah Paulson are always on there. The young guy? Yeah. Evan. Evan Peters. Yeah. Him. He played... H.H. H. Holmes, and he was, oh. like, old school guy. Like, it. that's who oh, he was. okay. Like, had, like, murder rooms and all. Like, that's who yeah. he was portraying. Okay. Yeah. They said it just sparked it where t- that video of this girl gets on this elevator and disappears and no one sees her again. And she winds up dead in a mysterious way. Mm-hmm. What's also eerie is that in 2005, there was a horror movie called Dark Water. And I remember this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's this plot. Oh. You're thinking of Open open Water. water. (laughs) Which is even more scary. (laughs) But it is some girl is dead in a hotel water tank. Uh Uh-uh. Guests complain about the black water. Ooh, Um, it was black in the movie, too? Ten years, mm -hmm. seven, eight years before? Yep. And if it wasn't creepy enough... The main character was named Dahlia and her daughter, Cecilia. And the Black Dahlia, Um, this was the last place that Elizabeth was seen. Yeah, I was going to say, because the very, very first thing when you were saying, like, the Cecil Hotel and stuff, I was thinking Mm -hmm. Black Dahlia. Yep. So, it's it's just really weird. It's fucking connected. And then, in that movie, there's an elevator malfunction. And Cecilia can be seen talking to thin air in the elevator because her quote-unquote imaginary friend is there. Mm -mm. So Mm -mm. it's just like, what? Because it's all fucking connected. Like, mind-blowing. There's so many coincidences. Another theory is her death has been linked to a Korean game called The Elevator Game. Oh, I think I've heard this. Yeah, so it's like a ritual of pressing buttons on the elevator in a certain order to reach another dimension. And that's really what this is about. Oh, I was wondering where you were going with this. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so I do not recommend you play this game. Absolutely not. It comes with a warning. Warning, (laughs) warning. Just think of Elisa Lamb. And we want to see you again. Not in water. Donna doesn't do water. No. <laughs> Unless it's a pool. Exactly. And not in a water tank. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. So, it's not like something you can do with your friends. What? I was thinking. <laughs> this is so terrible. Because she was naked. And I was like, but Donna will go Chunky Duncan. Oh, of course. For those of you who don't know, that's the big girl version of Skinny Dippin'. Yes. Chunky Duncan. Okay. So... You can't play with your friends. It's a solo thing. You have to do it on your own. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Out. You have to have a building with at least 10 stories and an elevator. Okay. 
you must meet that criteria to play this game. Okay. I will never do that. So Right. I mean, I'm scared of elevators anyway, because who's going to hoist my fat ass up in that ceiling? And we've talked about that my first thought when an elevator makes any kind of sound is, where the fuck am I going to pee? <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. I mean, literally, every time I'm like, if this elevator gets stuck, where do I pee? Right. I mean, because you do pee like every 30 minutes. It's ridiculous. Like, oh, what time is it? Hold on. Carrie hasn't peed. So, um. It's about half past time to go now. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just thought about in our Facebook group, someone shared a video. And it was about turds, moose turds. And it was called, like, turdy something. And it was a clock. And it had moose turds in it. But it was at the 30 marks. So, mm-hmm. one turdy Two turdy, three turdy, and when you, I was talking about peeing, you're peeing yeah. in a clock. That shit's funny. That is funny. Pun intended. That took me a second. Oh God! <laughs> I was like, funny. I don't get the pun, and I was like, oh, she said shit. <laughs> Turds are shit. I didn't notice the shit because we cuss so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. Sorry. So, back to this. Serious business. Don't do this. But I'm just going to tell you, if you see someone doing this, stop them. Be like, don't be a fool. So, you enter your building and get into the elevator on the first floor alone. It says, do not proceed if anyone is in the elevator with you. Press the button for the fourth floor. When the elevator reaches the fourth floor, do not get out. Instead, remain in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. When you reach the second floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the sixth floor. When you reach the sixth floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. When you reach the second floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the tenth floor. When you reach the tenth floor, Remain in the elevator and press the button for the fifth floor. When you reach the fifth floor, a young woman may enter the elevator. Do not look at her. Do not speak to her. She is not what she seems. Press the button for the first floor. If the elevator begins ascending to the tenth floor instead of descending to the first, you may proceed. If the elevator descends to the first floor, exit as soon as the doors open. Do not look back. Do not speak. If you reach the 10th floor, you may either choose to get off the elevator or stay on it. If you choose to get off and if the woman entered the elevator on the 5th floor, she will ask you, where are you going? Do not answer her. Do not look at her. You will know you will have arrived at the other world by one indication. The only person present in it is you. People who reportedly have spoken with or glanced at the woman said she quickly became hostile. And with one player, she became so aggressive that that player actually had to attack her to, like, fend her off of. Damn. Yeah. Another player began dreaming about the woman with her getting progressively closer to him in each dream each Mm-mm. night. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Only one player has claimed that the woman assisted them in remembering how to get home. But 
allegedly she still haunts him to this day. Okay, so what happens if you don't get out of the elevator? Okay, so some players who choose to exit the elevator on the 10th floor, remember, Mm -hmm. they believe walking in a straight line makes it easier to return to the correct elevator door Mm -hmm. because you have to go down the correct elevator door. We will talk about that in a minute. Um, But some say it doesn't matter because it's going to be weird anyway. Many people who say they have went to this other world say that when they're walking back towards the elevator, the further away they seem. Hmm. They claim that the air becomes unbearably thick and it causes them to become disoriented or have trouble discerning between the elevator doors. You know what that made me think of? On Beetlejuice when they're in the sand pit thing yes. and they can't figure out where they are. Oh my gosh, yes. So, okay, the return trip. So I'm going to talk more about the other world in a second. Okay. But I wanted to do the return trip. Just get that out of the way. Okay. So if you choose to stay on the elevator at the 10th floor, you press the button for the first floor. If it doesn't work, keep pressing it until it does. When the elevator reaches the first floor, exit as soon as the doors open. Again, do not look back. Do not speak. Just get the fuck out of there. Like, be thankful you survived. Shit. Okay, so if you choose to exit the elevator on the 10th floor and enter the other world, you must use the same elevator to return, like I said. So, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. When you enter the elevator, press the buttons in the same order you did in steps 2 through 8, and you should finish at the 5th floor. When you reach the 5th floor, press the button for the 1st floor. The elevator will begin to ascend to the 10th floor. Again? Mm-hmm. Press any other floor's button to cancel the ascension. You must press the button you use to cancel the ascension before you reach the 10th floor. Which reminds me of Elisa because she presses all those numbers. Mm-hmm. So after you reach the first floor, check your surroundings carefully. If anything seems off, even the smallest detail, do not exit the elevator. If you detect something wrong, repeat step two until your surroundings look as though they should. Once you're confident you have returned to your own world, you may safely exit the elevator and get the fuck out. No, ma'am. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. So, here's some stuff about the other world. If you get to the other world... It's identical to our world, except for two things. There's a lot of elevators. (laughs) Doors. Elevator doors. All the lights will be off. Oh, how you see to find your elevator? Well, duh. They want to make it hard for you. They want your soul. Oh. Um, No. The only thing you will be able to see from the windows is a red cross in the distance. Some say that all of their electronic devices, so their phones, cameras, it said MP3 players, and I'm like, um... Hello, 2013. Yeah. They don't work there. If at any point during this ritual you faint, pass out, or otherwise lose my favorite word... Consciousness. Thank you. You will likely wake up in your own home. However... Be sure to carefully examine your own home. You may not be in the real 
world. So anything that's off, Mm -hmm. you know, like you look around your room and something is definitely not in the place that you left it. Could you imagine walking into, like, this office right now and being like, Oh, my gosh. Hmm, that paper I left strewn across my desk, <laughs> it's not in the right order. Right. Um, That's for people who are fucking organized. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, too, like, it would be, like, on your clock, if you have a digital one, instead of red, it'd be, like, green. You yeah. know what I mean? Something like that. Man, this is like a fucking spot the difference between the pictures. Right? Mm-mm. No, thank you. I feel like it would be Groundhog Day. Yes. You know, you'd have to look to, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So, on a few different stories, I'm not going to go into their whole thing because they were all lengthy. But one player, he passed out after he left the building, but he woke up in his own home. But it seemed like he did see some odd things happening and that he would be trapped in that other world. And I don't know if it's, like, where they can still communicate, but maybe just something's off kilter. Maybe it's that damn break in the matrix that you love to talk about this episode. Well, I mean, because don't they say, like, for real, for real, like, the break in the matrix type thing, that's where your doppelganger is? Yeah, it could be. And, like, you can't see your doppelganger? Mm Mm-hmm. And so, are you... Like, if you're in this game, Otherworld, and you think you're at your house, but you're not, you see what I'm saying? You see where I'm going? I don't, I'm not putting it into words well, but that's, you see where I'm going. It's almost like on Stranger Things where he's in the house, but he's not in the house. mm -hmm. He's in the upside down. Mm -hmm. Things like that, where, I mean, it seems right to you until you're like, whoa, wait. Mm -hmm. They, So, they also give some examples. Foods may smell wrong, like popcorn giving off a mediocre. (laughs) I was like, meat and okra, sign me up. Fried okra and meatloaf. (laughs) Right, okay. Uh, Giving off a meaty odor, or birds will chirp weirdly, which I'd be like, that makes sense. You know, I don't know. So, it's that kind of thing that would be like, oh shit, I'm not at home. Could you imagine being like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. Oh, must have a different flavor. And then Mm -hmm. whatever you do after you play this game, do not eat those Harry Potter jelly beans because those all are gross. Have you in it Harry Potter? Mm -mm. It's um. Oh, but uh, boom. Bedazzled boo. (laughs) (laughs) Boom boozled. Bamboozled. Oh, yeah. Those videos of the football players trying them is, like, the best on YouTube. If you've oh, never my God. Watched I have them, to watch it. If they spit it out, though, I can't. Some, it's funny because some do. But, like, it's so funny. Some of the, like, the ones that you think would be, like, oh, these huge-ass linemen, like, mm-hmm. they're going to be, those are the ones that are, like, Bleh. but then you have some of these big-ass linemen, they're, like, no, I'm good. Yeah, can I have some more? You know? Yeah. Like, they'll, they're, like, fucking goats. They'll eat anything. Yeah. Oh. I have a feeling if we played that, you'd get all the good ones and I'd get all the no. shitty ones. We'd both get the shitty ones. <laughs> okay, so the one player who said that the woman in the elevator was aggressive and mm-hmm. kind of like made her attack her, like mm-hmm. that's what she wanted her to do. Yeah. 
The elevator eventually released her onto the first floor. But after she returned home, she went to sleep and she began having reoccurring dreams of being back in that elevator. She had a dream each night of being in the other world, able to use the elevator the first night, but only the stairs every night afterwards. Hmm. Afterward. And she said that she feels like she's actually trapped there, but there's no way to know, like, what happened to her because she, like, stopped, like, updating her, like, experience. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I don't know. If I have to have a dream where I have to fucking exercise, Mm -mm. like, no thank you. Stairs are, like, the hardest thing on the planet. Like, I don't care how in shape you are. You're still going to be fucking out of breath on stairs. Yes. Another one, another player had believed they made it home, but woke up on the 10th floor in the hallway the next morning. Okay, here's here's a thought, too. What happens if you're like, okay, got in, doop, 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 going up to the 6th floor. All right, now time to go down to the 2nd. And then, like, you get down to the 2nd and somebody fucking gets in. Like, that's not the lady. Like, it's, like, step two. And you're like, God dang it. This motherfucker messing up my mm-hmm. game. Gotta do it all again. So that's, that's the universe saying, stop that fucking game. Mm-hmm. But that's also why people do it late at night. Oh. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. that's, that's smart. Because the people who are doing this want to experience it. So, Mm-mm. they know what's up. One player claimed that the woman who entered the elevator on the fifth floor... Followed him home and banged on his windows all night. Uh, Damn. She laughed at him and... They're all uh, going to laugh at you. <laughs> and just, like, kept him up with, like, mm-hmm. taunting him still. So, apparently, this lady is a real bitch. I mean, do not fuck with my sleep. Right? A lot of people have felt a presence behind them following them long after they finished the game. One said that he, like, thought he had failed, that, okay, it didn't work, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, wasted 30 minutes of my fucking life. But some bloody footsteps had appeared outside of the elevator when he left because he fucking looked back and he saw that. (gasps) Could you imagine being like, what the fuck? One guy named Alex, he reported that he saw the woman get on the elevator at the fifth floor But he accidentally looked at her before he, like, went out on the 10th floor. Mm -hmm. Like, worst possible. Could you imagine, like, Mm -hmm. not looking, not looking, not looking. Can we get out and, like, just happen to, like... Look up, yeah. Yeah, out of fucking habit. Mm -hmm. Out of being like, have a nice day. Yeah. (laughs) So, when he was searching for that red cross in the distance, he saw numerous crosses And he saw people being crucified and burned on them. Holy fuck. And when the elevator returned to take him home, it was full of burned corpses. (gasps) Another one, Sammy, said that they saw the woman's feet and dress, but they never looked at her face. Like, they were looking down. Mm -hmm. But when they arrived at the 10th floor, they saw body parts covering the Red Cross. Wait, they? So it was two people? Sorry, Sammy. Uh, He... uh, yeah, he. Okay. Sorry. Okay, I'm just like, well, they broke a fucking rule right off the jump. Sammy had multiple personalities, okay. and I knew that. I'm glad he called you at home and told you, one, <laughs> that he's a boy. Other people have said that they hear strange sounds, have visions, and experience extreme paranoia after completing the game. 
Others say they can't stop shaking. One player believed he had been followed home by the woman, so he posted on Reddit pleading for help, and he actually said he bought a gun after a few days because he felt like he was going to be attacked by something. And it's like... I don't think a gun's going to help no. you if it's a spirit. I mean, no. just saying. And it's just going to harm you. Mm-hmm. Others, again, are paranoid after this. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid that they really haven't made it back home. So they're constantly looking to see if something's amiss. Yeah. You know, and like, what kind of life is that? But I mean, I feel like that's kind of the whole point of it, though. Yeah. Is that it, it does. It creates that paranoia that is with you forever. Yeah. After that. Mm hmm. I mean, that's basically it. That's a lot. Yeah. But, and the thing is, is that if you do that, one, you believe in the paranormal, supernatural mm-hmm. things. And so that means that you probably have researched different things and all of that opened yourself up. Mm-hmm. And then when you do this, if something does work out like that, mm-hmm. I mean, you have opened yourself up and yeah. it might be like a state of your mind, but... It's going to fuck with you. Yeah. And you know what I mean? You can't close that door that you have, you opened. Yeah. And that just means that it's open and you placed a welcome mat down. And all that energy, that mm-hmm. nervous, fearful, paranoid energy yep. is letting things flood in yeah. through those doors, through that door you opened. Yeah. You are your own portal now. Yes. And you keep your shit at home. <laughs> right. Whichever home, whatever plane of existence your <laughs> home is in, keep that shit there. Yes. Don't bring it over here. Uh-uh. Oh, that's scary. I wonder if she was playing that game, though. I don't know. And they did say that she, on her Tumblr, she did like some of, like, supernatural stuff. So, you know she knew about the Cecil Hotel enough to know that weird shit had happened there. Yeah. So, I bet she was like, it's cheap. It has a history. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. And so, if she had heard of this elevator game, this would be, like, the perfect mm-hmm. opportunity for her to play it. Right. Damn, that's scary. Like, can I just take an escalator, then? An escalator? Have a friend with you? <laughs> yes. Get a buddy. Buddy system. Always have someone. I just know whenever... I'm alone in the elevator, and if I'm on a fifth floor and a woman walks in, I'm not looking at her. Mm-mm. Be an asshole. Don't speak. Yeah. Act like you no doubt. Don't speak. Oh, my God. I was about to sing those lyrics. Damn. That was a good one. Yay. I did the switcheroo on you. I know. Well, I was like, damn, what? where's she going? Like, I had no idea where you were going with this. <laughs> Yay. I'm actually doing it a little different today, too. What? We are just... In sync. Yeah, and we're on the I'm other JT. world. Dibs. Does that make me Joey Fatwin? I was just about to say, I really am Joey Fatwin. <laughs> we are not fat shaming. No. I do want to give a trigger warning. Oh, shit. It does involve a child. Okay. Okay. I don't want to hear it. Bye. Okay. Well, <laughs> so she's going to take her headphones off. Because <laughs> I can't hear uh-uh. without my headphones. Plug her, plug her fingers in her ear. Ew. Okay. And then rubber eye. Oh, God. 
do all the things she that hates. That was a trigger warning for that. We're going to start in the beginning with a child named Charity Lee. So picture it. It's the summer of 1980. Charity was six years old. And the police, we're already bringing them in, had Shit. just found the body of her father, Bobby Bennett Jr. He was shot in the back of the head multiple times in their home outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Whoa. Based on how he was shot, the police thought it was an execution. Fuck. So, when someone gets shot execution style, and they married and have kids, who do you assume? The wife. Oh, I was like, a gang? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I watch Chicago PD. I'm sorry. Okay. So, Charity's mother, Kyla Bennett, became, like, the prime suspect in the murder of her father. They had been separated for a while, Mm -hmm. her parents, but they got remarried 57 hours before the murder. (laughs) The the murder plantation? God, words today. Okay, they got married 57 hours before the murder took place. They, like, it was like a crazy whirlwind-type romance thing. They went to Vegas. Got married. Doing it up right. (laughs) Hey, I mean, Elvis, the whole shebang. Tiffany's dream. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so they, you know, like I said, gone through a rough patch, got remarried. Bobby Bennett Jr. owned a highly successful trucking business. And so once they got remarried... Kyla standed to standed. Oh my god! <laughs> Kyla stood to inherit it because now they're married again. Oh shit! And so they were like, "We believe that she hired a hitman to take him out." And so it was like this huge sensational trial. The prosecutors had said said they had evidence that that Kyla had tried to arrange for a hitman to kill him. This huge trial. Goes on and on, and the jury acquits her. So we're going to flash forward just a little bit. And Charity is now a teenager. When she was 17 years old, her mother kicked her out of the house because she was addicted to heroin. Oh, gosh, bless it. Her mother gave her $100 and told her she can either use it to find help or use it to score and find a place to overdose. Whoa. So, Charity decided that she was going to spend half of it on drugs and half of it on gas to get to Chattanooga, Tennessee. When she got to Chattanooga, she got clean for about a year and did enroll in the University of of Tennessee, but she just couldn't deal with her addiction and went back to using heroin again. Gosh. She said that she made a deal with herself that... If she's because she was she was miserable, she was depressed. She you know yeah. lots of stuff going on that was leading her to to that addiction, that self medicate. You know mm-hmm. we know the drill. And so she said, you know, she made a pact with herself, and she was like, if in three months I feel like this, I'm going to take an overdose and I'm going to kill myself. Oh my gosh! And so a month into her like three month mm-hmm. trial period, basically. She found out she was pregnant. And so she got clean, had her baby. She named him Paris. And she said, he saved my life. So in the years that 
came after that. She stayed clean. She moved to Alabama for a little bit where she met a man named Jonathan Smith. Is that his real name? He wrote the Book of Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. And we just lost all our Mormon listeners. Just kidding. Oh my God, do we have any? Probably not. If anything, we lost them with the uh, Jodi Arias story. Oh, Okay. They might have skipped that one. They were like, oh, we like them. Want to keep liking them? Or They're just going to piss me off about my religion. Okay. Also, can I go back to your story for two seconds and say, I think it's interesting, the red burning cross thing. Like, I'm wondering if that's supposed to be like a sort of, of a heaven and hell kind of thing. Yeah. Where like... If you see the Red Cross, you're in heaven. But if you see it, like, burning with people dying and stuff at it, you are in hell. I don't know. If you believe in heaven. I mean, I know, you know. I don't know. I mean, it could all just be hell. True. But, or, the old, I say old, she's not old. I think she's supposed to be young. But the lady that enters the elevator, maybe she's, like, the last test to see, could you make it to heaven? Yeah. Like, if you could... Follow those rules. And if and you can resist that temptation, mm-hmm. you could get. Yeah. You know, because I, I guess I didn't mention this, but a lot of people say they do com- feel compelled to look at her. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure the the. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me not to look at somebody. I know. If that would make me, me want to do it. Yes. It's like, hey, Donna, um, there's somebody that's sitting behind you. Don't look right now. Mm-hmm. And then they turn and look. I mean, you yes. know what I mean? Like, it's That's literally human what I do. And so... Do you remember Tiffany, Ellen? Tiffany goes when <laughs> she got it from Ellen. Oh, did she like uh-huh. look at my eyes? No, she says look at my finger. No, oh, okay, okay, okay. That's well. That's what Ellen said. I mean, Tiffany might say it, but she went, look at my finger. Look at my finger. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, because I really. It takes me a minute to process what you're saying. So yeah, you're like there's a guy behind you. Blah blah blah. Don't look. And I'm like, okay, there's a guy behind me. Look. Oh fuck. Don't look. Yeah, you got to lead with don't look. Yeah. <laughs> Are you listening? Don't look. But there's a guy behind. <laughs> I mean, that does make you want to look. Oh, uh, fuck yeah, it does. Because one, well, but I will say, if Carrie's looking, like, and she sees that person, she is a paparazzi, like, connoisseur, <laughs> and she can get a fucking picture of that person. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, just give me a second, I'll take a picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, she starts the Mormon religion. No, <laughs> So she meets Jonathan Smith and they had a daughter named Ella and they were doing good except for in 2005, the relationship goes south. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to take my kids back to Dallas to be closer to my mother because her mom had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. So Charity had, so she's trying to build her life for herself. They just moved back to Dallas. She was working really long and late nights because she started a business and she was trying to get it off the ground where she did concert promotions. And what happened with all those late nights, the stress of the, of the new business and all of that, she relapsed and she started using cocaine. Damn. So she call her business charity work. Well, that'd be good if it was like an actual charity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so her son Paris, at the time he was 11, and he had a really hard time with it, with the fact that she was, you know, using again. Yeah. 
So she knew that she was in trouble. It was like a kind of like a six month period, I think, that she was using cocaine again or using cocaine. So she was like, okay, let's try to go back and move in with Ella's father in Alabama. So they go there just as before relationship goes south. And so she was like, all right, we're going back to Texas to see more Texas because her mom had like this huge ranch. I literally thought you meant to see more of Texas, but <laughs> I get it now. Okay. See more. Yeah. So the Charity's relationship with her mom was not good. I mean. Yeah. Complicated to say the least. Yes. And so she says that when they moved back, basically it was the perfect shitstorm, is what she said. Gosh. And so she was having a lot of trouble with her mom. Their relationship was at this huge breaking point. She was still struggling to be clean. And she talks about how at that time, you know, when you, you're a kid and you realize that your parents are humans and they're flawed and they're yeah. not perfect. And she says that she thinks that moment when they moved back to Texas and all that is kind of when her son Paris had that epiphany of, you know, really seeing that his mom was human. Yeah. So when they were there living on Seymour Ranch, Paris was playing with his little sister Ella and another girl, another just another friend, when he broke the toy that Ella and the little girl were playing with. So Ella got upset and Charity got onto the son and put him in timeout because like you know, he broke their shit, like, yeah. on purpose, and, you know, so he got in trouble. So, after she puts him in timeout, she steps away for just a few minutes, and one of the housekeepers starts shouting because Paris had grabbed a knife from the kitchen and ran out the door. What? When Charity and her mother finally got to him, Paris was waving the knife at them. His grandmother grabbed the blade... And Charity wrapped her arms around him, and then he just, like, collapsed. She was like, we didn't know what was wrong with him. So he was admitted to Paris, was admitted to Red River Hospital, which was a psychiatric facility. She said that she was really frustrated with the whole situation because the doctors weren't communicating with her what was going on with her son. She's like, we didn't know what was wrong with him. Like, nobody would tell us anything. Yeah. And then... Like, she's like, they're not even doing anything really to assess him. And then they gave her just, she said, some basic discharge papers. Wow. And then was just like, all right, he's yours again. Fuck. And so she was like, oh, I mean, we need a fresh start. And so then they moved to Abilene, Texas. So now we're going to flash forward to Paris is turning 13. And so she gives him a, a card. And, you know, in her card, she just lists, like, 13 things that loving him has taught her. Oh. And I just, like, want to read a couple of them because okay. it's, uh, it's sweet. Live without limits but set boundaries. Live, love boldly but carefully. Know your limits. Trust your instinct. Do not be afraid to draw lines in the sand. Follow your yellow brick road. It always knows where you need to be. Hold no regrets. Life is too short. And you're the sum of all your experiences, both good and bad. Gosh. When all else fails, remind yourself that this is your life and you have to live it the way you feel is best. Love that. Yeah. So there was just, I mean, again, there were 13 of them because he's turned yeah. 13. So he turned 13. Now we're going to fast forward two months. 
So it is the night of February 4th, 2007. Charity is working a late shift at Buffalo Wild Wings near Abilene. And a 21-year-old student is at the university, Hardin-Simmons University. Shout out if anybody knows that. Was babysitting Paris and Ella for the night while Charity was working. So the babysitter took the kids out for some Chinese food. And then they watched the cartoon Alice in Wonderland um, before Ella went to sleep. Okay. So Ella goes to sleep and um, Paris goes to his room because he's got to finish some homework. How can you do homework after Chinese food? I'm just saying. I mean, it was two hours later. He was already hungry again. <laughs> True. He is a growing boy. Mm-hmm. 13. That's when they start eating a shit ton. Yeah. So around 10 o'clock, again, Charity's still working. She's, you know, whatever. Babysitter's there. And Paris tells the babysitter, like, look, we're fine. Ella's asleep. Like, you can go home. Convinces her, like, I got this. Look, I'm 13. Yeah. I don't actually know this is what he said, but... I'm guessing, Mm -hmm. because he did convince her she could go home. Right. After the babysitter left, Paris grabbed a kitchen knife, walked into his sister's bedroom where she was sleeping, and beat, choked, and stabbed his four-year-old sister 17 times. Oh, my gosh. What? 17 times? Mm -hmm. She was four years old? The autopsy report said that there were a lot of cluster deep stab wounds on her chest, along with numerous cuts to her fingers, wrists, and forearms, indicating she fought back. Halt. Oh, my God. Well, damn, she was a strong Mm four-year-old. I do want to say that one article that I read said that she had signs of sexual abuse. Gosh. But another but that was the only one I saw it in, so I don't want I'm not sure about yeah, that. I hope not. So after Paris killed his baby sister, he called one of his friends to say that he hurt his sister. And then he hung up with his friends They talked for six minutes, him and his friend. Holy fuck. Then he hung up the phone, waited two more minutes, and then called 911. So when he called 911, he told the dispatcher, I accidentally killed somebody. The operator asked, you think you killed somebody? And he said, no, I know I did. I feel so messed up. The operator asked, is she bleeding anywhere? And he said, yes, she's bleeding all over the bed because I stabbed her. Wow. So, the operator, when he's on the 911 call, the dispatcher tells him to pull Ella from the bed onto the floor and then for her to, because they were going to talk him through CPR. Okay. And so, at first, he was a little hesitant to do it. And then he was like, okay, okay, I'm doing it. You know, pulling her from the bed, you know, was they were telling her, telling him, you know, 30 chest compressions, two rescue breaths. And so he was like, on the 911 call, you could hear him counting, like one, two, you know, counting the chest compressions. Oh, my gosh. So when the police get there, he told the officers that he attacked Ella, which, by the way, I've always wanted to name a little girl Ella. Mm -hmm. If I had one, love that name. But when he attacked Ella, he was having some vivid hallucinations And that he was asleep next to Ella, and when he woke up, he saw Ella, but it wasn't actually her. It was a 
demonic version of her who that was like covered in flames and wow. that she had this like maniacal laugh but dispatchers just didn't buy it mm-hmm. or not i'm sorry not dispatcher police just didn't buy it well just how you described it it sounded like it was premeditated mm-hmm. yeah here babysitter you can go home yeah also real quick Shout out to the dispatchers and stuff. Oh, my God. Amy D. and Amanda S. I know. They do that. And y'all are the calmest people on the planet. Yeah. Y'all have nerves of steel. Yes. And thank you so much for that. Yes. Okay. Also, the detectives on the scene noticed that there was no blood on the floor, really. And that Ella was laying on her side and that she had stab wounds on her back. So had he actually brought her to the floor to do chest compressions, there would have been blood everywhere. That little So he never actually did CPR on her. Oh, my God. That is heartbreaking. I know. The the fact that... That he counted mm-hmm. and fucking pretended that he was doing chest compressions and never even yeah. fucking did it. Whoa. What a piece of shit. I cannot wait to hear what you say about his defense because that is like calculated. Oh, fuck yeah, that's calculated. So, one of the police officers who interviewed Paris the night of the murder in his report wrote, At times during the interview process, Paris would appear as if he would attempt to cry. However, he did not appear to be sincere in these attempts. At no time did he have tears come to his eyes. And that right there, my friends, is Mm -hmm. how you know when somebody's fucking fake crying. Yeah. If you don't see a tear, that is fucking fake. Mm -hmm. And when they're rubbing their eyes so hard and stuff. It, like, makes it tear up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or just makes it so red that you think, "Mm mm-mm. Onto you. Mm-hmm. Also, I just thought about this. Like, Charity said that he saved her life mm-hmm. by, you know, mm-hmm. being in her belly. <laughs> That's weird. What did I say? How do I say that? When she got pregnant with him, he yeah. saved her life. And then he killed her daughter. I know. So, Charity was at work, and the police came and told her that her daughter had been hurt. Oh, my gosh. And so she said, you need to take me to Ella now. And they said, you can't go. She's dead. And she said it made no sense because she knew that she had left her at home with a babysitter and her brother. And so she says, is my son okay? And they said, we have him. And she said that's when everything stopped making sense. Oh, my gosh. You know what, though? I bet in her heart of hearts it made sense to her. Probably. Because... After the first instant. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't forget that. So, I'm not exactly sure about the order of events that this happened, but Paris had later told investigators when he woke up that morning that he had the urge to kill somebody. And that he was planning on killing his mom when she got home from work, like, as a way to punish her for relapsing on heroin. But... He said that the reason he didn't go through with, like, waiting on his mom to come home is because killing someone was harder than he thought. And that the second reason, so that was the first reason, Mm -hmm. so only two reasons not to kill his mom. Right. One was that. Two was that he realized that if he killed her, that she would have only suffered for five, ten minutes 
But if he left her alive without Ella, she would suffer the rest of her life. Whoa. That is fucking hardcore in the worst way possible. Savage as fuck. Yep. So when he was obviously arrested mm-hmm. and in the juvenile justice center, because he confessed. So there wasn't the trial and all that because right. he confessed. So he was waiting on sentencing. And she said that this was before she said that, you know, at first she really tried to believe his version of the events. But that when she got the autopsy report. Oh, my gosh. And saw what he did to her. Mm-hmm. And how much Ella had suffered. She said that she also had read the reports that they had discovered semen on the bed where Ella was found. And then also inside his shorts that Mm. he was wearing that night. So on the next visit, she goes in. That um, was probably what he was doing when he was counting. Oh, shit, Donna. Because you know you're like heavy breathing when you're doing that. So, she goes to see him before his sentencing, and she says to him, I know you did this on purpose. I know you're lying. She said, Paris got quiet, and then there was this whole shift in his demeanor. It was like this whole other person took over. He just started laughing at me. He said, well, it took you fucking long enough. Whoa. She said that when she asked him about the semen that detectives found, he... He became violent and was flipping the table over and stormed off and punched the wall. Whoa. But why didn't he punch her? Well, because I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm picturing like he's like behind like plexiglass. Oh, okay. I'm picturing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a juvenile facility, so I don't know. No, that's okay. I'm I'm not up on the locked up lingo and shit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's more your expertise. So, can you just imagine? No, I can't. But can just... <laughs> okay, she's got split personalities here, my, folks. My, my actual human came from my changeling and there was a little cross <laughs> there. No. So, again, Paris is 13 years old. And oh so, it's gosh. like, you know, his defense attorneys are trying to get him the lightest possible sentence because mm-hmm. he's 13. And then the fucking district attorney is like, um, no, we need to lock him up. For fucking ever. Yeah. Because he killed his four-year-old sister. He stabbed her 17 times. There was semen found at the scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which, again, that was like one article that I found that had all this information about Mm -hmm. the semen. The other ones did not. She said, like, I have a lot of good quotes from her. She has like a charity. She has a blog. She's really kind of turned this around for herself to be, to become an advocate for a bunch of different things. So, so it is charity work in a sense. Yeah. Also, this reminds me of reincarnation that shit happens for a reason. Yeah. Just, you know. Yeah. You know, she talks a lot about being stuck in the middle because it's like on the one hand, her daughter's a victim. Yeah. But on the other hand, her son's a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. But she said that she felt like neither side was really interested in the motive Mm-hmm. The the prosecutors were like, let's just get a conviction and justice is served. Whereas the defense is just like, let's get him off as early as we can. If I were Charity 
you would need to strap me into a fucking straitjacket and dose me up with Xanax. Right. But Paris's defense attorneys told her that she should not seek counseling or any mental health services until, like, his trial stuff, like, his sentencing and all was over because the prosecutor could subpoena the files to use against Paris and Are court. you fucking kidding me? One, she needs all the help she can get to not relapse, mm-hmm. you motherfucker. I know. So it was two years later that she finally got, like, intensive counseling. She was diagnosed with severe post-traumatic stress, death, yeah. and major depressive disorder. Gosh. So this was... I think one of the most touching things the day of the sentencing hearing, she didn't know which side of the courtroom to sit on. Oh my gosh. And so a bailiff brought her a chair and she sat in the middle aisle. Whoa. That to me, I don't even, I can't even describe the feeling that that gave me when I saw that. But, but not even that. Yes. But just the, I don't know if juxtaposition is the word because it's not the word that I want to use, but it just shows how much this poor woman was torn. Yeah. Because literally on the one side, she has her murdered baby girl. Yeah. And on the other side, she has her firstborn, her son. Yeah. Which, you know, she feels bad about his upbring- upbringing and all that. So, you know, she blames herself mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. Which I think makes it easier for her to love him through this in a sense, you know, to mm-hmm. be more behind him because she feels that burden on her, you know? Yeah. Two months before his sentencing, because so he's, you know, inside like a youth lockup type yeah. thing. He would not like talk to anybody. He would only do letters and drawings and would not follow even, like, the simplest of directions. Like, he's what? a fucking little shithead. Yeah. So, two months before his sentencing, he beats the shit out of this other kid that's in the lockup out on the basketball court. The kid never fought back. Like, wow. he just he just did that. And then later, he flood, flooded his room. And then when staff responded to the room he like lunged at them to attack the staff what the hell he got in trouble for quote demeaning comments to his younger peers and like because okay so paris they say had an iq of like 141 he was very smart but one of his evaluators said quote when discussing his offense he was smiling this causes some concern uh uh, duh this causes a slight concern. I mean... Probably not a big deal, but just want to note it. hmm When he murders me, you can say this. Right. Charity says that she will not call her son a monster, but she will call him a sociopath. The only thing I have with that about her saying that about the mm-hmm. monster and sociopath is that we've learned, you've educated me, probably others, that... Not all sociopaths are murderers. Yeah, or even aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that puts that connotation on sociopaths as, you know, right. being a monster. 
Well, and I think that that's okay because I think that sociopaths are monsters, even if they aren't the ones who kill. They have no empathy. They're typically have narcissistic personality disorder along with it. And y'all correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you there's way smarter people listening than I. You know, these are the the big wigs, the CEOs and all of that who mm-hmm. will take over another company and get rid of all the employees, you know what I mean? And have no compassion, have no care. And so although they don't necessarily murder someone, they have, do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I feel like... Obviously, it's not the same. Taking over a business and people losing their job is not the same as murdering somebody. But it's that lack of empathy that... I feel like you're describing you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just had to see your face. But I think it's that lack of empathy that makes them the, the monster. Now, where I do have a serious problem is when someone murders someone... And they have, let's say, schizophrenia. And they're like, schizophrenic, murders, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, he's of the 1% mm-hmm. of people who have schizophrenia who are violent. Yeah. That's where I take the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. When I you look at, when, you, when you're like, oh, gosh, you know, this murderer had obsessive compulsive disorder or... Mm-hmm depression or whatever and it's like okay that is like the smallest percentage of the smallest population you know okay i did want to go back remember how i told you that after the first incident with his sister that he was in that red river hospital and that mm-hmm. his mom said that like it was like she couldn't get nobody would help her and she couldn't yeah. get any information a year after he murdered ella she finally got the full file from that time And in one of the documents from one of the physicians, it said he is obsessed about shooting, killing, homicidal, and suicidal ideations. Oh, my gosh. So if they, I mean, I don't want to say if they had just, but if they had just been better communicators and worked with her and let her know what the fuck was going on, this may have been completely different. Okay. From the shit you've been covering to Dr. Death and everything. Mm-hmm. Healthcare, it's on my shit list. I think this stuff that we've been talking about more than just like healthcare is the mental health services in this country. Lack of mental health care services or just lack of access for marginalized populations. Yeah. If you, you know, if you don't have freaking private health insurance where you get six visits and even then it's like six visits a year. Yeah. That, I mean... I have a job and I have good health insurance, but I get like six visits a year for free. Even if you have good health insurance and you can't afford the visits, $100 an hour or however much it is, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to go. So this case, again, we could talk, like we could have a whole series on this case just to discuss the psychopathy in Paris, but also in... The justice system and all of that. But yeah. the thing is, though, is that there's not a whole lot of evidence to support the diagnosis of a psychopath in, which I know we've been saying sociopath, and I know that they're not the same, but in a child. Mm. So there is a diagnosis. And again, y'all, I am not the DSM-5. So <laughs> if I'm wrong, tell me. But 
Kids can be diagnosed with conduct disorder, and there's one other, and I can never remember which one's worse than the other, but typically if a child is diagnosed with that in life, they will have, like, they will be a psychopath. Mm -hmm. They will have antisocial personality disorder. Okay. And it's like the precursor as a as a child diagnosis because the to be diagnosed as a child with antisocial personality disorder is like very rare. Yeah. And and two, you know, one of the articles went all into like the neurobiology of the amygdala and the brain not being developed as much and that just like the the natural progression progression of a child's development in that some of the things that they do on the reg looks like a, a, yeah. a psychopath or, you know, because their their frontal lobes aren't developed mm-hmm. and that's why they can't drink and all that stuff because their brain is still developing and they're learning. Yeah. So it's like, it's a, it's a slippery slope and a really gray area to diagnose a child mm-hmm. with that. However, when you've got someone like Paris who's saying, you know, with all these homicidal and suicidal ideations, Clearly, that's more than just an an underdeveloped amygdala. Right. You know what I mean? Something's wrong in his medulla oblongata. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what movie was that? Waterboy. Yes. The what? What Waterboy? Also, I remember from that Needle Dick. Yes. Okay, so we talked about the brain stuff. Mm-hmm. Paris was sentenced to 40 years in prison, and obviously he was 13, and so he was in a juvenile. Could you imagine putting this 13-year-old boy in an adult prison? So when he turned 18, there was a transfer hearing to decide kind of what, where to go, what to do with him. Yeah. And so his mom was like, "Mm, you fucking put him in an adult prison. Wow. Because she's still very scared of him. And we'll talk just a little. I know I'm, I'm, this is dragging out a little bit longer than I intended because there's just so fucking much to talk about as it relates to mental illness and society as a whole, Mm -hmm. you know. So when they were at that hearing, the transfer hearing, trying to figure out what to do, his defense attorney tried to say that he had Asperger's and that he had a developmental disorder that caused him to have an inability to socialize and communicate with others. And his mom is like, um, no, he fucking didn't. If you look at, so the DSM is the diagnostic statistical manual that psychologists use. And that, so it's basically like psychologists and psychiatrists Bible. Yeah. That's, that's the different diagnoses that they can use to diagnose someone with any type of mental illness. Okay. And so, that we're on the DSM-5. There's been one, two, three, four, a text revision. Like, anyway, there's been, like, I think even though this is number five, I think this is number okay, seven. Okay, so this is, like, King James Version. Yes. So, it's, well, because if you think about it, like, the first DSM had homosexuality as a right. psychiatric disorder. Right. Well, it's not. So, you know, so mm-hmm. as we learn more, we have revisions. And so. Which is good. It evolves. Yes. So. In the most recent edition, in the DSM-5, Asperger's is no longer a diagnosis. It is all autism spectrum disorder with various levels along the spectrum, but Asperger's is no longer a diagnosis. Right. And so they're like, that's not even a diagnosis anymore, and that's not what he fucking had. And so I think that that's... Even Donna said, like, okay, how does this relate to you know someone with that 
is a sociopath with no empathy. How does that work as far as someone with autism spectrum disorder with empathy? And again, I know that there are people that have a ton more knowledge about this than me, but this is my perspective. Someone with autism spectrum disorder has empathy. They can't read the social cues that everyone else can read and they may not understand it, but they do have, they do have feelings in Mm -hmm. that way. It may not be empathy. And of course it it depends on where they fall on the spectrum, obviously what they're able to feel and, and all of that. But someone that is a sociopath has none. And when they show empathy, it's a learned response because they, that's how they, get ahead it's a it's an it's a more of a narcissistic response in that they do that so that they can manipulate you. yeah i was gonna say it's a calculated measure it's not, not emotion mm-hmm. whereas someone with autism spectrum disorder when you're working with them even as an occupational therapist when you're working with them to teach them social cues and how to handle situations it's a teaching process to help them learn how to read things and internalize them and react to them, react to them appropriately, not as in a way of I'm trying to manipulate you and get ahead. Right. And so it's very different. Mm -hmm. I just think it's important too, to understand that people with autism spectrum disorder have sensory modulation issues. And so that just means that they cannot process the world around them. Their brain is not, it doesn't have basically the highway systems in their brain to process the information that we process in our everyday life from the environment. And so when you have a child that has autism spectrum disorder and they're in an airport or they're in the grocery store and they're flipping their fucking lid, it's because something is happening in that environment, whether it be a sound over the intercom or the way that the a smell the yeah the smell the way that the the cart the grocery store cart feels in their hands something there's they're getting some sensory input that their body doesn't know how to handle mm-hmm. and so they're not acting out in a mean or or aggressive bad it's not it's not bad behavior it's literally their body is either revolting against the sensory input that they they don't know how to process. So it's a texture, it's a sound. They got to get away from it. So they kick in their fight or flight, and it's it's either fight or flight. You know, they're yeah. either gonna run away from it or they're gonna have a tantrum and fight it. Yeah. Or they're sensory seeking, and they. Ooh, they really like a texture or, oh, God, I really like the way it sounded whenever I stomped my foot on this ground. It was kind of hollow. It made a weird noise. So I'm going to do it a bunch because their body needs more sensory input. And so they're seeking in that way. So they keep doing it because their body needs it. Yeah. And so through therapy, again, I'm on a soapbox, but through occupational therapy, you know, that's what we do. We help modulate their system. We help retrain their their highways. Yeah, their whole neurological system to be able to take the input, whether it's visual, auditory, tactile, anything, and be able to process that so that something so mundane as me clapping my hands is not a noxious stimuli, stimuli to them. Yeah. 
Does that make, I mean, I feel like I went on this way huge tangent, but I feel like it's really important because there's a lot about autism spectrum disorder and really great shows like Atypical and even Parenthood with Max the Kid. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, people are really starting to kind of learn and understand and be more open. Mm-hmm. And if you ever want to know more, there is a lady by the name of Temple Grandlin. Oh, yeah. She is amazing. And she, well, she's, will tell you she has Asperger's because that's what it, she was diagnosed with back in the day, even though it's, so you'll, you're going to hear a lot of people like, oh, he has Asperger's because, I mean, they're not changing all these kids' diagnoses. Right. Or adults. And so, but she actually, because of the sensory input she needed, because she was seeking, she needed mm-hmm. that, she actually would use the cattle press on herself to help calm her and like she's a big part of us as therapists understanding the pressure and the sensory input that the kids need for calming right and why we do a lot of the things that we do in therapy with pressure for calming but she's brilliant and completely changed like the cattle industry mm-hmm. but there's a really good movie about her and Claire, it's, Danes. Claire Danes played her and it is so fucking good so I highly recommend that I mean such a good movie but anyway so whoo soapbox sorry I hope I didn't lose y'all no just FYI when I asked Carrie that I wasn't saying that they were no the same. yeah 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 I just wanted no, no. them to know that I wasn't no I absolutely not I was just trying to understand yeah which at first I was like, oh, we need to cut that out because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings or, you know, whatever. Because y'all know I'm so like, oh, my God, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But then I was like, okay, you know what? It's coming up in the actual story of him, them kind of trying to use that as an excuse to get him off for fucking murdering his baby sister. 17 stab wounds. A fuck you. Right. And I cannot believe 40 years is all he got. I guess because he's 13 at the time. Yeah. Well, God, I feel like it was someone you did or another podcast that I listened to that it was a teenager of murder, like accused of murder, found guilty, was sentenced to life. And then when a law was passed that... Yes. It was was commuted to something yeah like he got out you couldn't die you couldn't die guys no you couldn't they said it was unconstitutional yes to inhumane convict. Yeah. blah 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 i can't remember who that was but yes we did but i mean it's texas i don't know i don't know yeah i mean i'm just saying i don't feel like it murder is murder to me like how he did it he oh, was yeah. calculated. calculated he sent the babysitter home mm-hmm. he called his friend pretended on 911 that he was giving her fucking chest compressions yeah. like count like yes well, this was a whole other ball game i feel like since he went to rush her and mm-hmm. the first time that got him obsessed like and so he was obsessed mm-hmm. with killing her from that moment mm-hmm. and it just progressed so he has been working on this and the fact that he did it to hurt his mother yeah like that that is more complex than a 13 year old again cuz of his IQ and stuff yeah like he he worked that out in a deep like rooted hatred oh yeah for his mom for everything like it 
it was so calculated. Absolutely. That deserves life. Is and as calculated as you can be as a thirteen year old too. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like he was more calculated than most killers. So his mom visits him in prison. Oh, we're back on this. We're finished with our tangent. Yeah, I feel like good God, they're like, okay. I mean, I feel like I feel like it goes because that yeah. we just pick back up because she does still go to see him in prison. She's like, he's fucking dangerous. I'm terrified of him. If he was out, I would be terrified that he was going to kill me. Yeah. And so, like, his... Okay. His mom had another kid. Like, just... I think she named him Phoenix. Just in life, had another kid. And she can't take that kid to see him, like, legally because yeah. he can't be around kids. But she was like, no, I absolutely would never because... I would be terrified. You know, so it's like she's still caught in this position where she has this eternal love for her son Mm -hmm. that nothing can stop her from loving him. Literally, he's he's done the worst thing he can do. Yeah. And she still loves him, but she's still terrified of him. Yeah. And I wonder if he even knew that she. Yeah. Well, I guess so, because she like went and she'd be pregnant. So he's done. He did like a. 45-minute interview. He was on The Family and I. Mm-mm, that's not it at all. <laughs> the Family I Had. And that was a show on Investigation Discovery. Ooh. It was pretty good. I watched it. But so he's like 24, 25 now and still in prison. He's like eligible por- for parole in 2027, I think, which oh, is God, not that far not. away. But again, there's way more that I'm leaving out. But I just wanted to end with this. So, you remember how I read you some of the stuff that she wrote to him on his 13th birthday? Yeah. Right before, two months before he killed his sister? She did it again on his 16th birthday, but she only wrote three. And she said, to my beloved son on his 16th birthday, it has been a long, hard trip getting here, but I would not change any of it. What is, is. You still teach me so much about love, so here we are. Three more for your list. One, Always let love be your guide and light at the end of your tunnel. Two, as long as you keep breathing, you can survive anything. Even if you quit, you will survive everything anyway. Three, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what you may do, I always have and I always will love you to the stars and back. Gosh. I know. Wow. I like that to the stars and back. You always hear to the moon and back, but I like the stars and back. I'm going to steal that, Charity. (laughs) Sorry. I totally was like, I'm going to end with that. Oh, wait. No, I'm not. She started a victim advocacy and homicide division of a, like, volunteer kind of crisis intervention program. And she calls the volunteers Team Ella. And Ella in this stands for Empathy, Love, Lessons, and Actions. Wow. And so it's this huge charity organization that, you know, does a lot for victims advocacy. And then she's also has a big advocacy for basically like prison reform and rights of prisoners and everything. So again, she's in that torn place where mm-hmm. she's just, a, she's fighting for victims and she's fighting for offender rights in prison too. Yeah. So, because I feel like she sees that they're both victims in their own right. Which is a hard fucking pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. But I think more so she sees him as a victim because she feels like she's a perpetrator 
in some of that. And, you know, when when he did kill Ella, he was dead set that she was she had relapsed again and she hadn't. Wow. So I, I feel like, I feel like oh, that's sorry, an, a fucking excuse. He used her addiction as an excuse to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. He was going to kill Ella or someone mm-hmm. no matter what. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, as a mom, going through what she went through with him, like, you know she blames herself. This poor woman. Right? She the, is strong as fuck. She went through her father being murdered, her mom going to trial for it. Her mom and her having a complicated Complicated does not even I say relationship. Because it, it was a <laughs> shit of a relationship. Um, like this... This poor woman. Sorry. So what did we learn? Because we learned a fuck ton today. Yes. Carrie, I'm t- referring to myself oh, in third I'll, person. One, she has her index finger up. And so I thought she was going to take an oath or something. <laughs> Carrie? <laughs> okay. We'll get on a fucking high horse soapbox in a hot second. No, I think it was needed. When it comes to people with autism spectrum disorder. Well, that's good, though. If more people did, we'd have more understanding. But she did mention Atypical, and it's on Netflix, and it is such a good show. I haven't watched the second season yet, but I did watch season one, and I did like it Season two is just as good as season one. And I told her, like, when we were talking about that, it really has done a lot to educate me. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, what more can you ask for with a show like that? Absolutely. So, yes, Soapbox... You can get on soapboxes, and I can get on tangents. Number two, don't let your kid push the buttons in the elevator because they might take you to a different world. Do not go elf on the elevator right? buttons. Right, yes. <laughs> it's all a picture when he was like, Oh, my elf. God. You know what I just thought about? What? Dun, dun, dun. When you get in and you've seen, like, buttons have been hit, what if it took you to that? No. What if the buttons are pressed because they are on the other plane? <gasps> Fuck. Not you going. They are. Yeah. <gasps> Shit. And you interrupted their journey. And now they're stuck forever. Good job. Damn. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Couldn't take those two. Sorry about you. You should have, uh, you know, locked it in the position. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, that would be me. Like, someone's like, okay. And then I'm like can't walk that first flight let me get up to the second floor Mm -hmm. (laughs) like really he's looking down really a fucking flight (laughs) but seriously don't here's here's number two don't open yourself up to things for thrill don't do the elevator game don't do these dangerous games i'm sure i'm gonna talk about more later because this is the kind of stuff that kids do like, not as bad as the fucking Tide Pods, but these challenges and stuff. And it's like, okay, let's do this. Shit happens and not even always paranormal. It could be like Elisa Lamb. What if she was doing that, but she met some terrible person that was at this low rent hotel and they saw this, you know, girl who looked... Like a visitor, like a tourist, mm-hmm. and was like, 
awesome. She's alone. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. they could have watched her. And so, not only supernatural, like, ghosts and humans, they're both monsters sometimes. Yeah. Don't open a door that you can't close when, again, like you said, not just paranormal. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think number three, we should quote Charity on this one. Okay. As long as you keep breathing, you can survive anything. Even if you quit, you're going to survive anyway. Yeah, that's really good. Even if you are in a situation in which you feel like there's no way out and you're just like, I give up. I'm not dealing with it. You're still going to survive through it. Yeah. There's always an out. Mm-hmm. You might just have a longer journey to that out. And it is fucking hard. Yeah. But you do survive. Nothing worth doing is easy. That's so true. Just know that there's always an out. There's always another way. You can survive it no matter what it is. Right. There's help. There's something. Yeah. What kind of podcast do you think this is? We cannot end on a serious note here. Okay. All right. So, knock, knock. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, she threw me for a loop. (laughs) Nobody's home. Go the fuck away. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Get out of here, you fucking Mormons. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a Mormon, we'd really do like you. Just leave your pamphlet. I mean, pamphlet on the floor. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's fucking funny. Was it bad? Do we need to cut it out? It's because we were talking about the Mormons earlier. No, I know. I get it. We want to hear your feedback on this. We apparently do feel very strongly, mm-hmm. intensely, mm-hmm. truly, madly, deeply about this subject. And all right, Savage Garden, <laughs> you know. So we would love to hear your feedback in the group, in an email, anything, Facebook message. We want to connect with you. Also, you can leave your feedback in a review on iTunes or Stitcher or both. Great review. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.